Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director of QSR and FSR Magazine. So actually, this is a bonus episode for us. As you might notice, it's being dropped the same week as one of our other episodes, which we typically don't do. But what we're going to do this week, aside from our typical kind of interview and look at the industry, we're actually going to go and count down our 4040 list of America's hottest startup fast casuals. So for those of you unfamiliar, this is an annual report in QSR, one of our biggest, and we've been doing it since 2017. Essentially, it's a 40 under 40 type of setup, as the name suggests. So 40 fast casuals with 40 or fewer units. And we've been doing it, like I said, for a few years now. I guess this is the sixth iteration, if I counted that correctly. And every year we pick 40 new brands, which has been a very interesting practice and I think something at the beginning we weren't sure was actually even possible, yet you know, every year we take nominations, we get 60, 70 new brands we never heard of, and kind of goes to tell, show you what Fast Casual is like, how entrepreneurial driven it is, and yep, we'll just keep doing that, I guess, every year until we run out of uh, <laughs> of brands. But um, another thing making this uh, unique for us is instead of having a guest, we actually have the entire QSR editorial staff for you, so in, in addition to... You know, everybody's favorite, Ben. We're also joined by Nicole Duncan, our managing editor, and by Trevor Griner, our staff writer. So, Nicole and Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Um, if you want to kind of introduce yourselves to the world on this format, um, you know, go ahead, Nicole. I guess you could start. Thanks, Danny. Um, so, I'm Nicole. I am the managing editor of Food News Media, um, and I'm the editor of FSR Magazine, which is the sister magazine to QSR. We uh, focus on the full service side. Um, I was back when we started um, the 4040 report primarily working on QSR. So I remember like Danny, the early days when we were trying to figure out if this had longevity and then also, you know, what this would mean for the segment. Cause we just identified this, you know, so-called fast casual 2.0. Um, but crazy, it's been six years and that's, kind of impressive yeah yeah i remember the first time we did it we actually had tiers so we had like tier one two three and four and the idea was that you would graduate into you know tier two one from one year to the next and uh we never did that again <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really know exactly why other than i think we realized we would have the same brands on the same list every year and uh you know that wasn't it would be hard to move from, you know, one to four in the course of, you know, a calendar and what really even define that. I I have no idea, but it was meant with the best intentions at the time, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that part of it was we had, because we've never done the list before, there were a lot of them that were in between that 30 and 40 unit mark and the chances of getting that met or finding a new one with that many has gone down each year. So a lot of these in the list, not all of them, but a lot of them are kind of smaller in number. At least that's my theory. Yeah, it's kind of the what it's taken on as a personality. And uh, that first list too, like maybe 10 to 15 of them went bankrupt. <laughs> but that's <laughs> that's not our fault. You know, I think, uh, I think I like to think that COVID kind of reset any predictions we made on who was going to grow and not. So we kind of wash our hands of that one. But um, Trevor, uh, Trevor's actually, I guess he's been here about six or seven months or something of that nature. So he's relatively new to the QSR and FSR world, although he was actually working in restaurants before he started here and then went and got his master's degree. So he brings a, a unique perspective, um, to this room of, uh, former sports writers and 
I guess Nicole was uh, a lot of different things in, in the journalism world before, but um, but anyway, yeah, Trevor, you know, welcome. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I've, I think you're right. I've just about seven months I've been here. Started actually right before me and Danny's birthday. We share a birthday, so. so All right, I, well, and you're a twin too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, if, yes. Unfortunately, I, I do have to share my birthday with somebody else, um, but. Uh, but yeah, no, I focus mostly on uh, on the FSR print side of stuff. Uh, we do a lot of chef profiles and, and trends in the alcohol world. Um, but this is this is my first 40-40 list, and uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's um, well. So I'll kind of get started here, and and what we're going to do is we're just going to basically count them down in order now. To be clear, though, this is not orders in terms of like number one is number one. It's just this is basically the order and how we wrote them. <laughs> so they're not alphabetical and they're not in order of greatness. I actually got that. Somebody asked me that question yesterday, and it's a very fair question. But um, and I think one of the reasons also people ask me that question is because Shaq is on the cover, <laughs> and it's like you have this giant Shaq, and then um, this giant. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to ask yourselves, you know, I guess where he sort of stands in that, but, but yeah, to kind of talk, so we'll, we'll get right into the fact that Shaq is on the cover and Big Chicken. Um, so if you're not familiar with Big Chicken, Shaq is actually not a stranger to the restaurant world. You know, he's been a franchisee with Krispy Kreme and, um, you know, Papa John's, he sits on the board, which was a really big announcement, I believe in 2019. And, you know, he's, also Owens Papa John's, he's got one in, I believe, Atlanta where, you know, it's basically branded as Shaq's Papa John's. And, um, you know, so he's been kind of around the restaurant space for a while. Five Guys is the other one too. But, you know, Big Chicken, though, is really kind of the first time he's branded himself, you know, beyond the fine dining restaurant he had a long time ago. But in terms of fast casuals, in terms of franchises and growth brands, you know, Big Chicken's really designed to kind of be an ode to Shaq inside, but, you know, at the same time, not in a gimmicky way. So, you know, the story and the conversation we had was really a lot about that. And how does it reflect Shaq and kind of tour through his life and who he is? And yet at the same time, you don't feel like you're, you know, kind of at a Disney World restaurant. And so they've been very successful, you know, out of the gate. You know, they hired a CEO and Josh Halpern, who's got a lot of experience in a few different sectors and has helped them to really, you know, lay a pretty good foundational pipeline. You know, they went on cruise ships, they were in arenas, and that was kind of a good way to get the name out. They did ghost kitchens up in New York. And so, you know, obviously having Shaq on the cover was cool. I think we we were all excited about that. But beyond, you know, the fact that it's Shaquille O'Neal and he's, you know, seven feet tall and an NBA legend, this is actually a brand with some serious growth potential. So, you know, I think we were excited to talk about them and they do kind of meet this bill of a fast casual with an elevated experience that's just beginning to kind of look at trying to be the next big thing. So anyway, that is the first one. And then the second one, we go on to Son wait, of Butcher. Wait, wait. What? I think we need to address the <laughs> shack slash elephant in the room. The fact that everyone thinks that those sandwiches are Photoshop because they're so small. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I actually got a lot of positive feedback about people saying, you guys did a great job making those sandwiches not look ridiculous. And the truth is we didn't do anything to them. <laughs> you know, we did not Photoshop anything involving like what he was holding. It's just the fact that he apparently can hold a chicken sandwich with two fingers. <laughs> I mean, he's Shaq, so. Right, yeah. I don't know that you realize how big he is until you kind of see him holding human-sized things. Um, <laughs> But yes, that is a good point. Uh, it's a cool cover, so definitely check it out. You get to see the fact that he doesn't look like the rest of us in terms of <laughs> being two feet taller than me, I guess. No, I'm not five feet tall, but whatever. You get the, <laughs> get the point. Yeah, right. Exactly. He only outweighs me by like 225 pounds. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so anyway, moving on. Um, we won't, we won't uh, talk forever on each brand, of course. We'd be here for three hours, so we'll just kind of run quickly um, down the list. And So number two is Son of a Butcher, which is a front burner restaurants concept. If you're familiar with them, very big out in the kind of Plano, Dallas, Texas area, a lot of full-service restaurants. This is a uh, counter-service you know, chain that they've got that they're growing now. And they actually have a lot of uh, kind of pet-related things, which is something that I liked, I'm not going to lie. So I gave them a little bit of a nod on that. But just kind of historic to their brand and company, great food, great branding. You know, Randy DeWitt and Jack Gibbons are both, you know, kind of restaurant icons. So obviously someone worth betting on. The next one we have is Bushfire Kitchen out of Southern California. And um, that's a five-unit concept. You know, it's kind of run by two serial entrepreneurs and Clive Barwin and Chef Brandon Barwin. So family operated kind of concept. And also, you know, I think you'll see that in Fast Casual a lot of times. It's not necessarily food people. It's business people who really have a sense of how to grow something, you know, that goes beyond just what they're serving, a lot of branding. And this is definitely a concept that, you know, fits that bill, craft beer, taps, you know, things that, you know, go beyond what you expect in counter service. The next one, ah, this so this <laughs> this sounds like a name that Nicole would be uh, better at pronouncing. <laughs> She's sort of our resident uh, pronouncer linguist. of things. Yeah, linguist. Yeah, definitely. Pronouncer. <laughs> um, I guess I'll. Call, I guess you would say that. So D U E with an accent on them. I don't know what the accent sort of is supposed to tell it's me. Because you're there. missing the article, I think. So we'll just call him Du Cucina no. Italiana. So that was du, Due Cucina Italiana. All right, see. That was very good. And if you didn't yeah, know yeah. by that pronunciation, uh, they're based in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a three-unit concept. Annual revenue six point two million sales per square foot, north of eleven hundred. So. Numbers alone are great, you know, incubated at MIT, which always sounds super cool, um, especially for those of us who would not sniff going to MIT ever in our lives. Um, but yeah, again, you know, you're, you're really looking at a brand with great food and quality that's got room to grow. Um, so the next one, you know, very, very cool concept, Loro out of Austin, Texas three of them and they're run by high hospitality, you know, so again, you're kind of backed by a vehicle with a history and growing restaurant concepts. But this one, you know, for me really stood out when they nominated because it's run by Aaron Franklin and Chef Tyson Cole. So you've got two James Beard 
you know, award-winning people, you know, running the culinary side of things. And, you know, Aaron Franklin, for anyone who likes barbecue, of course, you know, we're kind of the brisket king. Um, I have his cookbook. I did try to read it, but it sort of made me feel lesser about myself. Um, I mean, I guess that's a good sign for how quality he is and what he's doing, you know, in terms of, you know, the Franklin barbecue. But anyway, they've got a fast casual, you know, which uh, I don't know that a lot of people know that, but it pushes $9 million per year per restaurant, which is outrageously high. Um, So, you know, you obviously see how those things change as you grow. You know, that was kind of Shake Shack in the early days was in that $10 million range. Of course, that's come down more than the $4 million as they've opened in suburbs and just all across outside of New York City. But to be doing $9 million per year in Texas is for a fast casual, you know, that is um, nothing small right there. So I think, Nicole, you're, you go from here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I want to add real quick on Loro, just kind of an anecdote that my little cousin moved to Austin last year. And when I saw him at Thanksgiving, he's a bit of a foodie. He was like, this place, Loro, it's so amazing. Um, So it's, I haven't been, we've covered their parent company in FSR a lot, Heinz Hospitality. They have Uchi, which I think we mentioned in the story, Uchiko, Uchiba. Um, Trevor even did an interview, a profile on one of their um, executive chefs, not Tyson Cole, but they're one that we're excited, I think, on both sides of the service format. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously my cousin likes it. So there's something to it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. They did say, you know, just in their description that the outdoor and indoor space is modeled after Texas dance halls, which I I have no idea what that means (laughs) that I you know, maybe your friend could tell us, it sounds cool. A Texas dance hall sounds like a place that I would stand out in being a <laughs> Northeast well, just, as he, I am. He just moved from Montana. So maybe he has experience with Western dance halls. I will ask him. I would think so. <laughs> Montana is yeah, another place need, I haven't visited though, but. Um, I think you just need a pair of cowboy boots to get in there, right? Maybe a hat. Line dancing skills. We had a line dancing uh, bar in college at, in florida called eight seconds <laughs> why was it called eight seconds i i don't know i went there the first week i was there though to kind of enjoy the uh different experience and it had one of those bowls in the middle i didn't know places like that really existed outside of like uh you know disney world yeah disney world movies like i'm you know you might see of some kind of nicholas sparks romance and roadhouse Roadhouse, yeah. You know. I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, anyway, Nicole, if you want to keep uh, going here. Okay, so the next one is Hawaiian Brothers, which um, it was kind of interesting that when I was, you know, doing this story or this write-up on them, I had recently talked with Chef Roy Yamaguchi out of Hawaii. He's kind of one of the chefs who brought about... Um, like the renaissance of Hawaiian cooking where it became less European centric and a little bit more, you know, sourcing local foods and ingredients. And he also talked about um, these lunch plates where when there was a lot of immigration coming in from just different countries, um, mostly Asian people would bring their own kind of lunch pails. And then this whole idea evolved where you would mix it. So you might have like, some rice from China, some noodles from like from um, Thailand. And so I thought it was interesting that this lends itself so well to a build your own. Um, and obviously 
they have they're onto something since they're already up to 30 units and um the brothers who started it they are not hawaiian as far as i can tell they are from kansas city but um it seems to have struck a note with folks amazingly not the only hawaiian concept on here which (laughs) just (laughs) uh, you know i don't know that anyone could have predicted that would be a thing but it's i mean the food sounds really good i i think this kind of healthy halo you know and the pictures they sent us is kind of, uh, you know, looks like boxes that you would get and then like go eat on a side of a road in Hawaii. I guess maybe is kind of what they're going for. Not that I understand that experience either. I think I think it's like um like a Hawaiian culture because I when I did a, um a story on Mo Betta's um who I think has made a previous appearance on the um forty forty list if I'm not mistaken. It's um, a three three Hawaiian the concept. It's like it's called like a like a plated lunch where it's mm-hmm. like the the um the main entree, the rice and then the macaroni salad, I think, as the um other dish. So it's like a it's like a like a standard like thing in Hawaii. I think that's what the, the picture is of in the uh the magazine. Yeah, it kinda reminds me of lunch. like American Southern barbecue, right? Where you can like get the food at the counter and then sit next to like a pickup truck. I I've been really nostalgic on these images and of American in this uh forty forty breakdown so far. But that I've actually done in Florida many times. So anyway, um you know, I, I guess what's next here is if you want to go next. Red chicks, is that next? Or okay. Yumby. Yumby. Yeah, Yumby? Are you or Oh, yeah. Sorry. Red Chicks is on the list, by the way. No, I know. I'm I'm just, just I've got my magazine in front of me. Um, And I guess like with this one, I thought it was interesting that they're already working on. So Yumby has four locations. They're based out of Atlanta. Um, I think that it's interesting. They're already working on a second sister concept, um, the queso shop, just because their specialty, um, they're kind of, they're mixing, I feel like they're going in the whole um, Mexican-Korean blend. And I think it's interesting that they're also leading into the Mexicans uh, separately. Um, yeah, and it seems like their growth is going pretty aggressively. Um, they're already targeting 10 units, even though they're at four right now. Yeah, Korean barbecue, Mexican cuisine, and classic Southern fare is how they describe it. Which... Yeah, I guess that Southern fare is the twist that's different from like what we've seen out West, um, you know, with like more traditional Korean Mexican mixes. I feel like that started as a very California thing. So it's interesting. They're putting the Southern spin, which being in Atlanta, you might as well. Yeah. And like a lot of fast casuals, they started as a food truck too. So that I know that was hit hard in the pandemic times, but that remains an incubator in a way that I think a lot of brands in this category always will, will lean on. So I think the red chicks is next though. So, so yes. you, didn't, you didn't jump the gun too far. No, there. no, I just <laughs> looked ahead. Um, well, so... I, have a, I have a few, I can jump in here. I have a, um, I recently did a story on the red chicks. So I have a few um, fun, um, I guess, details about them that, uh, that aren't, weren't necessarily shared in the, uh, the magazine piece. Um, it started, um, back in uh, 2018 and, um, I remember the founder, he, uh, shared, um, an anecdote with me that, uh, a couple of months into, uh, opening the restaurant, they received a, a one-star Yelp review that, uh, called it the, uh, the Taco Bell of Nashville hot chicken. 
And of course, like they were being negative and um, negative connotation, of course, when they said that. But it actually um, sparked a little bit of motivation in him. And he kind of uh, looked at it and as if, like, what if we do become the, the Taco Bell of Nashville Hot Chicken more of a positive way, as in like terms of size and scale. So he kind Can of like. Imagine being in the room when you read that at the first. <laughs> You're like a guy who starts a restaurant chain, you know, in terms of all these dreams you have, of what you're going to bring to the table. And that's the first thing that you see. Yeah. And that had to be one of the more, uh, I mean, it's great that he turned it around the way that he did and used it as a positive, but I think that that's a time. I mean, no offense to Taco Bell. It's obviously they are who they are, but it's right. just, I don't know that the red chicks probably aimed for that comparison out of the gate right you know it's and the food isn't even similar obviously it, it really is interesting because um they only have i mean right now they have they have one restaurant one's on the way and uh their tiktok which you know the social the social media platform is like exploding right now and every restaurant trying to get in on it they have um over a million followers on tiktok which is uh, more than burger king and almost as much as wendy's and they have one restaurant, and of course we know how large Burger King and Wendy's are. So I mean, they've gotten they gotten the social media craze. Like they have the they have the followers, they have the, they have the customer backing. So I mean, there's um, you know clear um, demand um, for what they have, and so they've got a got a good sight line for um, where they kind of can grow and everything. So. Um, I haven't heard a lot about that Nashville hot chicken trend lately. That was such a such a big thing a couple of years ago, and KFC was kind of democratizing it across the country. Mm-hmm. I, I think it still is there. It's just I, I don't know that it seems to be as buzzing. Now you have more of the just hot chicken concepts popping up all over the place. Yeah, well, it kind of reminds me of um, what um, – like in the same way that Nashville hot chicken is kind of a twist on the, like the base fried chicken dish, which is like an American classic. It kind of reminds me of what I've been hearing from the the Korean chicken chains is that it like the, the base of it is like this, what everybody's familiar with. Everybody's familiar with fried chicken, classic Southern dish. Everybody knows it, but these are just like, like little twists on it that are just like soaring in popularity and which, and the same thing that's happened with this, uh, Korean um, fried chicken seems to be the same thing that's happening with uh, the Nashville hot chicken that the the twist is starting to um, gain its own popularity on its own right. What's good about fried chicken too is that, I mean, who who makes fried chicken at home, right? I think that's important. Right. There's there's also an adventurous aspect to it. Like, because what you're you're really targeting, like the, the golden demographic for all these restaurants is that millennial and Gen Z age kind of group, right? And this kind of menu targets them um, directly because of their their heat index kind of levels where you can go from like, you know, mild to like, I think the top one's Inferno, which it's made with the Carolina Reaper, the hottest pepper on earth. So like that, like, it's like like a challenge, like he described it as a challenge. It's a challenge to these guys, like these young, um, these people coming in, challenging each other, like, hey, but you can't eat, you know, this um, level or whatever. So it's like, like the, the experiential aspect, I think, is also a, a good yeah. draw too. My uh, my aunt was visiting not too long ago, and she just kept complaining to me about how spicy the Chinese food is in North Carolina, <laughs> mm. which of course made no sense and had no. And I'm not worried about her listening to this because that's definitely not gonna <laughs> happen. But I remember it's just it's like a generational thing, you know. It's like they there was a 
I feel like, I mean, I don't want to just put baby boomers in one giant group here, but it's like they liked food that was bland or that was not scary, you know? I mean, I, I don't want to say something wrong there, but it feels that way. Whereas I feel like millennials are different and whatever comes after Gen Z, which maybe Nicole knows what that is, but. Alphas. What is it? Alpha? Gen Z and then it goes alphas. I've never heard that before. I had to sit on a, a panel where we were talking about generational consumer habits. And when I looked up the date ranges and they were wanting to know about alphas, I'm like, the eldest alphas are about four years old right now. I can't really tell you what their consumer preferences are. Why? Why do they get to be called something so strong? Cool? Yeah. Well, we were originally called Gen Y, and then the millennial thing happened. And mm. Are we all millennials? I don't really like yes. the term millennial. Millennials go from no. 83 to 97, 98. Some of them haven't go till two, uh, 2000. 2000. Huh. So um, yes, I guess we are all. Yeah, I did right? a demographic story too, and there's there's variation. Some like the Pew Research Institute has a different one from the census, has a different one from this. And what's interesting, and then I won't go too far on this tangent, but what's interesting is that the only reason we started doing these generational breakdowns had to do with just how much the baby boom was. It was such a wide influx that it kind of affected the economy. A lot of what we do naming like Gen X, Millennials, uh, Gen Z, Alphas, that's more consumer driven. So it kind of went from more of like a governmental economic thing to being something that marketers, including mm. restaurants, can zero in on. Um, but it's a little bit more arbitrary. I don't know how Nicole knows any of this, but that's uh, very I guess a lot. <laughs> good. It's good that she does. I've, yeah. I've done generational features. Um, I guess Trevor, why this. why don't you like the word millennial? You just kind of drop that there and then stop. Yeah, I mean, no, it's like I think uh, it's like when you hear that, it's like disparaging. Like it's like oh, they're the millennials. Yeah, those yeah. Tech influence millennials who can handle spice better than any baby boomer I'd like to point out. I've never met a single person 50 or older who can handle anything spicy. They think they can just tying back to the, to the yeah. uh, red chicks, you know, there is, there is no one of that age group who thinks that like, you know, a normal spice is actually acceptable. You know what, uh, what else boomers do? And I feel like we can fight back at them since we've been taking heat from boomers for our whole lives. <laughs> Is they is what I don't understand the salt. You know, oh, it's like they gotta salt every piece wait, of food. So you don't like salt. I mean, I like no, I like salt. It's like they have to salt on top of salt, and maybe that has to do with what they grew up eating. I guess from what I've I've heard that before. Like whenever I cook for, you know, like my father in law, which again he's not gonna listen to this podcast, hopefully. <laughs> um, but yeah, like no matter what I make and how I season it or what's on it, if sauce is on it, if it's not. He has to like carry the salt, you know, to the table mm -hmm. and salt everything that he's eating constantly. I think that's a combination of growing up with blander taste, but I also it's been proven that your sense of taste diminishes as you age. You can't taste as much, you know, when you're fifty as you could at twenty. Yeah. I also blame TV dinners, I guess. Yes. These are also Which, people who grew up just slamming packs of cigarettes and have probably <laughs> <laughs> Their taste buds are already gone. I will say I have an older relative that he would 
he would grow cayenne peppers and jalapenos and he would just eat them raw. He said it was good to cleanse his system. And one time he got one that was so bad, he was crying for like half an hour, but he, he did really like the heat. That sounds self-inflicted, but I will also, I also cayenne pepper doesn't taste like anything. It's just hot. So. Okay. Maybe it was, yeah. it so was some sort. He, so he still had no taste buds. He just, for some reason, wanted to <laughs> in, induce pain in his life. Yes. Yes. If you just want to induce pain and then you don't really want anything tasty, just have a Carolina Reaper. Those I've eaten one and they're, it's not fun. It's, yeah, do it. I don't. It doesn't sound fun. I I've never been into the whole like, let me eat something really hot in front of other people. To I, I remember I used to watch people do that at Buffalo Wild Wings back in the day. Yep. It's not not my not my thing, but it's not um, fun. You can do that at the next office happy hour. Yeah, yeah, no, never. Well, poor Detroit Wing Company got stuck behind our rant about millennials, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think that I think that's a Nicole brand. Um, it is. I think all of mine are in order. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's interesting about this one, and I feel like it almost reflects the direction of the forty forty and how much it's changed over the years, is that you know wings have become the hot ticket item, and I think it's impressive that even though the kind of supply chain issues we've been seeing were more in 2021. I just think it's very impressive how much they were able to grow in 2020 and then keep that business going strong despite their sourcing. And I don't know if any of you have more insights on that, but I would be curious to know what kind of special deals, maybe because they're smaller, they were able to have things that other brands couldn't to get the chicken wings they needed. But going back to what I think this says about the future of the 4040, the fact that now they're planning their future spots to be no on-premises, like they're going to have drive-through. Um, they're going to essentially be kind of a ghost kitchen brand to a degree, though they'll have a brick and mortar. It won't be sit-in. Um, I think that just says so much about how these concepts that when we started the 4040 list, the dine-in experience was one of the criterion that we looked at. And so the fact this is changing. Um, and then at the same time, though, the quality, which is another um, hallmark of 4040, like they've been written up in all these major media outlets. So the quality is there. They're just not pursuing the on-premises experience as much. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm working on a wing story right now. I don't, so I don't. I don't have the answer to that question, but I will say that um, it surely seems like they stopped opening virtual wing chains, which was a nonstop thing, as Ben knows probably better than anybody in that stretch of time, probably probably back end of 2020 into early 2021. That is that is definitely stopped. I mean, when, when DJ Khaled gets his own, his own <laughs> he's the last he's one, right? The shark. I mean, it hasn't really been one since then, I think, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know that Fazoli's was kind of looking at that. It just kind of became a part of their menu. But, you know, chicken chicken wings are just well, Taco enormously Bell. expensive. Taco Bell, Taco Bell had those wings. Yeah, you know what's funny about that is uh, <laughs> I, saw, I, saw, I saw a lot of stuff on that line. They're like, Taco Bell has wings? How is that even possible? And, you know probably because they're owned by KFCs, right? So, it's like, so I think they were basically just serving KFC wings for um, some expended period of time there. And actually, KFC wings are pretty good. On a side Domino's there. has wings, and they, like, reduce their portion sizes, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, wings are going to always be popular, and, and 
you know, you can open up the can of what is a boneless wing and what a fraud that might be. But, you know, I'm not going to get into that other than it's weirdly shaped pieces of other chicken posing as wings. But it's not a wing. You know, it's not a wing. It's, right. it's not a wing. You know, it's a piece of chicken. It's just. But this chicken wing thing's been going on for years. I mean, this Buffalo Wild Wings, I remember when they, you know, switched their deals up to becoming boneless, you know, with the BOGO, and then they got rid of it, and then they brought back different versions of it. And and so wing prices have just been going, this has been a volatile conversation well, well before COVID. It's just, you know, now everything is a commodity, you know, conversation because it all costs more, but, you know, wings being one of them, so... Our next brand, the the Works Cafe, actually, I want to, <laughs> so, so they actually sent us granola, you know, and we're like, we'd love to be on the list, you know, it's so like they were, you know, kind of trying to entice us, but little did they know they were already on the list at that point. <laughs> so we did not accept granola and then add them to the list uh, to protect our integrity. And a mug. We have a mug and granola. But Nicole did eat the granola regardless <laughs> of... Uh, but they were on the list. I just want to point that out. But thank you, Works Cafe, if you do listen to this. It was a, a nice gesture that we appreciated. I very much enjoyed it. It went great with my yogurt. We accept bribes only after the fact. That's where we draw the line here at QSR. Does that mean we can like we can welcome bribes? We just can't accept them until after we publish it. Like that people can send them before we can actually. I guess you would call it a them. thank you by then. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't send it back. Um, <laughs> oh, I've gone actually a lot recently. I've um, been getting a lot of baby uh, stuff for, you know, my child was, was born two weeks ago. And I need to currently take a picture. Subway sent me a uh, a swaddle that's designed like a uh, sandwich wrapper. And then it and then it comes with a hat that's like uh, vegetables. So when you make him into a swaddle, he looks like a foot long. <laughs> it's actually kind of amazing, but I need to. Uh, I got it yesterday. I have to take a photo just of how ridiculous it is. But we appreciate things like that. Um, but that doesn't mean you know any any you know special kind of love. Yeah. So thank you, The Works Cafe. I enjoyed your granola, but you were already on the list. Um, I think, you know, so often with brands on the 4040 list, they are have been founded within the last five, maybe 10 years. This one has been around since either 1988 or 1989, 88. So I think two of the folks on this call weren't even born yet. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting that they, you know, they have this growth potential that's coming so long after they were founded and the fact that they remained relevant and kind of in one way stuck to their wholesome food um, quality ingredient um, approach. But at the same time, they've stayed where they're kind of bringing in not just customers who've aged out, like they're bringing in new customers. Um, they are up in New England, but they are going into New York. So who knows? Maybe they'll make their way down south. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, I think so. I think, Ben, you're now up on your list here. We start with Honeybee Burger, who we know very well here at QSR. And sure. they introduced to them well before um, the 4040 list. And so I just kind of, uh, I guess, take us from here. Yeah, Honey Bee Burger, um, based in Southern California, a plant-based um, burger brand. We're seeing um, that really accelerate across the industry. Um, 
What's most interesting about this brand is that it's it was started by a uh, former Wall Street guy, and um, to grow the brand, he pretty much put his financial uh, financial kind of um, background to uh, use. And um, the the way they're kind of supporting growth is through regulated crowdfunding, which is basically like there's like different platforms you can go to online, and you can uh, basically like um, um, have like just customers. Um, choose to invest in the in the brand um has anyone online. here ever actually done that nope. invest in a brand yeah like, like crowdfunded like through crowd crowdfunding not for yourself which <laughs> i feel like i would have heard about but i mean have you ever actually donated to any crowdfunded cause or you know product that you see on shark tank or something Maybe on kickstarter because i feel like that's a millennial or at least we get you know, build as being people who do that. And I haven't, mm-hmm. I've never had the urge to, to donate to anyone on there, which maybe no. makes me cheap or terrible. I wouldn't call it a donation though, because like, do you get something people, out of it? Yeah, you do. There's yeah, this you're whole thing. To. Yeah. Like, if you donate this much, you get this. If you donate yeah. this much, you get that. And then if they don't make their goal, you get your money back to you. I think. Uh-huh. Well, it shows you what, how little I know about this subject. Thankfully, Ben wrote that story. <laughs> but they 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 start. It was the the platform that did it on was called Start Engine, and they um, it was the most successful crowdfunded restaurant ever on that platform. So obviously, people really um, believed in them. Um, and um, they uh, signed in. I thought another interesting fact about them, me being a sports guy, they uh, signed an NIL deal with uh, Tiger Campbell, which if you you go back to the NCAA tournament um, last year. UCLA point guard yeah. um, led them to the uh, Final Four. Um, so, and of course they're highly ranked this year. So um, it was a it was, it was a good um, deal to kind of put those guys on the uh, on the map. And and they're they're looking to uh, expand into uh, New York and in Miami and Austin. So they're kind of um, kind of mapping themselves out in these kind of major. Um, metro areas to kind of grow their brand. So I expect that we'll, we'll, we'll continue to hear from them um, in the years to come. So, and then the uh, next one is uh, H&H uh, Bagels, which the interesting thing about um, these guys are, they're, it's, a, it's a very like decades old brand. I believe that's um, about 40, 50, 50 years old and but they're just um, recently now um, doing their franchising strategy. So they've been around for decades, but now they're kind of um, getting around to franchising. Um, Dane, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld guy, but um, one of the things, one of their claims of fame is that H&H Bagels was featured in the, the famous Festivus episode really? of uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, Kramer, Kramer goes to work there. He's like, oh, and then he's basically said he was on strike for like, 12 years or something right I, I, yeah. I mean it's like a blurry memory in my, in my mind but uh but yeah I I mean I I think that's uh I think they were in two episodes I think they were in Festivus and then they were in the other one that I'm talking about um, mm-hmm. right you know yeah. I've been to the actual restaurant restaurant you know that's uh it's like on the sign that they always go to for restaurant yeah, that that was a weird experience when when I went there. I thought that I felt like they could have leaned more into their that whole thing, but mm-hmm. and the food was kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went whatever. to the uh, <laughs> to the restaurant where Cheers was filmed, huh. and uh, I don't even know where is that. 
you know, it's in Boston. Um, mm. Very underwhelming. Very, it's like, it's actually, uh, I don't know if you're up on your New England real estate, but it's in the Beacon Hill neighborhood, which is one of the uh, more ritzy neighborhoods in Boston. And uh, yeah, it's just not, it's not very good. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, uh, you know. Well, hopefully H and H bagels. Um, you are good, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> falling into. No, I, I, we, I think we, we know that they're good. Actually, you know, Jay. Um, you know, we've written about them on other times, and they've been gaining a lot of momentum already in a very short period of time. And I think the whole New York bagel movement, um, as someone who grew up around it, I think is something with legs. You know, it's also. You know, it can be looked at like a sandwich concept, you know, in terms of what you could do with it. Um, we don't have enough good bagels below the Mason-Dixon line. That's just a fact. We have basic – well, okay, so in Chapel Hill where we are all located, there's one one good bagel store, thankfully, that opened recently. but be, and, that, and that only opened like a year ago. Before that, it was a monumental struggle that was and the dominating like a lot of our life. long sometimes if we're thinking of the same one. On the one on uh, Rosemary, is <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so that place, yeah, that place is good. We won't give them any uh, side love here because we don't want to take away from H and H Bagels <laughs> shine. Um, mm-hmm. Come to Chapel Hill H and H Bagels and J Russian, and we will. Uh, yes, we will put you into that tier. Let, let you <laughs> let you duke it out in the Chapel Hill Bagel Wars. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Small Sliders, um, you know, probably one of my favorite brands on here, Ben, you know, very familiar with. I, I actually talked to him a long time ago before this actually even opened, um, when they were just kind of getting started with the walk-ons and the Drew Brees background, and it sounded like it was going to be a cool concept. To see it actually come to light is, is pretty cool. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it's 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 a one thing you want in, in – um at least what I've heard from talking to so many brands that are being franchise, being beginning franchising strategies is that um, you want something repeatable. You want something simple, something that um, you can kind of replicate in, um, in a lot of other areas. And they had that in their, their menu, um, small footprint, simple footprint, um, simple menu. I mean, I think it's basically, I mean, it's, it's what it is, what its name says It's just um, um, sliders. And then of course with the, um, with the typical beverages and everything, but um, they they're based out of um, Baton Rouge, um, Louisiana, and I believe um, they're going through a um, kind of a two. They describe the CEO described it to me as a as a two phase strategy with with the first part being solidifying all the main departments, you know, the training, the marketing, the technology, and operations, and then the second part, of course, is the uh, the execution, and um, some of the areas are focusing on. Um, Texas, Mississippi, um, Louisiana, kind of like what these chains typically do, just kind of growing in concentric circles outside of where their core area is. So I expect to um, continue to hear a lot about them um, coming down the line. And the interesting thing about them is, you know, they it's based out of like this 1,000 square foot kind of shipping container kind of look, and it's like this bright orange kind of like color. So they, they really do um, stand out. Um, in terms of like um, restaurants, so and then of course, like Danny mentioned, it's always nice to have association with walk-ons, which they're doing their own thing on the casual dining side. So, and when you got those kind of people backing you, um, and Drew Brees too, now and that, Drew Brees, yeah. Now that he's actually retired and could do things like this, 
Right. I think, uh, and from, you know, when you listen to walk-ons, they say he's a very active, you know, he's not just kind of someone slapping his name to the, the brand. So, you know, I think, it, and he knows that area and they're based in Baton Rouge, which of course, I think they yeah. know that territory pretty well you know, yeah, with that walk-ins. And, I'm, sure and he's, I'm sure he's better than that than he is at play-by-play commentary. So <laughs> let's hope so. That's cold. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't uh, hopefully, I, Drew, if you're listening, <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> I don't think I've heard him call a game. I maybe I did without realizing. He called one of the playoff games. It was, did he? Uh, yeah, he did. Um, I forget yeah. which one it was. I think it might have been um, Cincinnati and uh, yeah, Oakland. That it was. I mean, Las yeah. Vegas. It was the Cincinnati uh, Vegas game. Yeah, I, I amazingly did not even that didn't register with me for some yeah. reason. Well, but, well, Drew, yeah. we're sorry, but we we appreciate you as a restaurant owner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we hope you all the all the success outside of the booth. Drew, if you want to come on the podcast, to take your case. You're welcome to. We'll give you the floor. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, that would be. Yeah. Um, the next the next couple of um, ones on the list are um, poke. Um, which is has really um did he pronounce that correctly nicole did, did, yeah did. did i okay yes. cool. thank goodness um that would have been embarrassing um as far I, as I, I, said, I know i said it i said it, I, always, I always say pokey which is probably horribly wrong i said it so confidently it would have been bad if i just said it wrong <laughs> that's half the um that's but uh the first one is it's poke and i'm self-conscious about it <laughs> poke me you got it um, this they're uh, based out of uh, Los Angeles. Um, it's uh, run by um, a family with more than forty years of experience in the restaurant industry, um, five locations in, in six years, and they uh, they claim to be the the one of the first original poke concepts before um, the cuisine became a national trend. And um, like I'm sure most of these restaurants are like you can customize it with a bowl or a burrito, and they have a, a variety of uh, house made sauces that you can choose from. So, um, like eel sauce, truffle, ponzu, spicy mayo, uh, yuzu wasabi. I guess I'm pronouncing those uh, correctly, but um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think so. Um, I don't know how else you say wasabi, and that's not. Uh, well, I mean, I'm talking about the yuzu. The yuzu? first part, yeah, yuzu. You, you got that right. Okay, yeah, well, cool. uh, yuzu. I don't know how else, to... <laughs> but yeah, I think we got it. Oh. We're good. The, the, the next. One is uh, Sweet Finn. Um, they're based in West Hollywood, so another Southern California uh, brand. Um, um, like like a lot of these um, businesses, strong off premises, um, and they have a pretty aggressive growth strategy as well. They want to triple their footprint in the next thirty months, and um, with a mixture of company-run units and ghost kitchens throughout uh, Southern California and uh, markets outside of uh, California. So um, a lot of um, uh, and there, I think there's there's even more. Um, I mean, there's we're, there's another one I'm actually about to get to in a, in a couple of brands, but a lot of um, emerging poke brands across the country that are um, for geared for uh, growth right now. Yeah, they're they're always a big part of the forty forty lists every year. Mm-hmm. I, I think the I think the category is pretty new, so you have a lot of brands under forty units who are who are starting to grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, from what we could see, it's very popular so you probably continue to have people opening 
you know, into this sort of a sushi in a bowl, as I like to think of it, which is probably a very simplistic way to describe it, but <laughs> that's what it seems like to me, right? I don't know. Right. We have, I mean, uh, yeah, we have a couple great ones over here that, that are awesome. It's the first thing I had to take my wife to when, uh, after she gave birth. <laughs> she wanted poke, poke, um, pronounce it correctly, so... Mm. So yeah, Sweetfin is the next one, right? Um, no, yeah, Sweetfin, yeah, it's the one I just... Uh, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, two, so two California ones back-to-back, -back, and I right. think there might be some more on... Actually, it definitely is more on this list. Yeah, I'm about to go another one soon. But before that, we have a Sauce on the Side, which is a uh, calzone and salads uh, concept. And uh, their claim to fame, um, they were named the cheesiest restaurant in America by the Travel Channel's Food Paradise. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have ever watched that show, but I thought it was a. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I wonder how the melting pot feels about that. <laughs> they probably have yeah. a, a gripe with that, I'm sure. Tom and Chi, too, back in the day, the milk yeah. shop. Yeah, a, a cheese based restaurant. Yeah, you know, I feel like the mel the melting pot maybe was, was not considered in the same sort of uh, category here by whoever did right. this list. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I actually love the melting pot. It's, mm. You know, it's like, you know, where you go on dates when you're, you know, younger or after prom and stuff like that. And I just definitely did that. And now I still have memories that are lasting until my <laughs> middle age years. Mm. <laughs> but, I, see, um, I see Nicole shaking her head like this. <laughs> this is something that, that, did that not resonate with your past as a youngster growing up in South Carolina? <laughs> I feel like we went to local places. You didn't go to the melt. Well, I, okay, so I didn't go to the melting pot until I moved to Florida. I had never been to one. In Actually, where did we go before prom? Yeah, I guess it was kind of the same atmosphere as a melting pot. See, exactly. I'm just not going to say I'm middle aged. That's the part I took question. <laughs> I'm millennial middle aged. I guess. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I feel like maybe this is the new rendition of that. Instead of going to Melting Pot, you go to Sauce on the Side before prom. I'm sure they would welcome that, yeah. They would love that. <laughs> well, who was it? Was it, do you all remember Whataburger? Whataburger? Yeah, of course. Yeah. How they did their um, prom treatment. You could like win a full fancy prom at Whataburger. Do you guys remember this? Like at like one of their locations? Yeah, I I do, and they they actually are doing something now where you can get like a wedding package. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, I I love Whataburger. That Me also too. that also is a place that in college I was stunned by its greatness when I had never really seen anything of that nature in New York, and um, you know we went there at like three in the morning. Like probably people are introduced to Whataburger a lot in their lives, and. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, they, you know, that's a, that's a whole other conversation in terms of their growth and, and what they're doing since being sold a couple years ago. But, but yeah, definitely a classic right there. So I've got a question for people. So this is from uh, Sauce on the Side is based in St. Louis. Have any of you all actually had St. Louis style pizza or their uh, famous Provel cheese? I, I don't know what St. Louis pizza is. That's, that's a new one for me. It's like uh, you're gonna have to look it up. It's its own kind of, and as somebody from New York, you're probably gonna be offended, honestly. But um, 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty open in my pizza love. You know, I think Chicago pizza is really good. It's just kind of uh, it's like eating a pie. And then you sure. know, I think, and I I think you know, fast food and takeout pizza is its own thing too. I really don't. I am definitely not a pizza snob. And Ben is probably the uh, pizza aficionado of the office in terms of ordering pizza. <laughs> when when I when he first started working here, you see entire pies by himself. But I think he's I got think a little more health conscious. Of I'd, I'd be the opposite of an aficionado. I just I'm very value conscious customer. So <laughs> whichever one lowers the will lowers the price the most. That's pretty much the one I choose. But Domino's is making it really hard uh, not to go back to that well with their whole carry out um, coupon thing they're doing now. But yeah, it's I don't I wouldn't recommend eating large pizzas by yourself. That's it's not a good idea. St. Yeah, Louis think, uses yeah. no yeast. That's just what I'm gonna say. So it's very thin and crackerly. Yeah, it's it's like say. very crackery, and a lot of the times it's square cut. And uh, uh-huh. Provel is like this weird blend of cheese that doesn't exist anywhere else except in like St. Louis and like the Quad Cities of like the weirdly connected parts of Illinois and Missouri. Yeah, the Midwest is a strange place. It's a <laughs> wonderful place. No offense, but it's a strange West. place. Not, I mean, not, I'm not saying yeah, it in no a negative or negative uh, light. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. uh, it's a friendlier uh, type of people than I'm used to, and then they have all sorts of strange food. I feel like, mm. <laughs> but sauce on the side being a calzone cat concept, I don't know of another such thing in the country. Um, I'm. I'm sure there's probably something out there, but I think that gives them obviously a differentiated brand to grow on and introduce people to. And I think calzones are one of those things that we all like, whether or not we think about it that often. So I think it's a comfort food in a setting that you could serve up in a quick format that has potential. Sure. So roll them up. Is that roll them up? Roll them up. Tito's is the next one. Yeah, um, they um, they started franchising in May of uh, last year, and um, their initial goal was to uh, sign a hundred deals by and by the end of the year, which would have been basically six month period. Which I mean, in its own right, is a pretty like outstanding goal to kind of strive for. And um, by December, they had reached uh, one hundred and five, but then they before the year ended, they signed this massive three hundred unit. Uh, master franchising deal for Texas and Oklahoma with these two franchisees. So they ended the year with um, 420 um, restaurants under development within a six-month period. And now, um, Pretty wild. yeah, this year they're wanting to open 50 stores and they're wanting to sell 50, um, 50 more restaurants. I mean, not 50, 500 more restaurants. They want to open 50 stores and sell 500 more um, restaurants this year. So they're they're um, wanting to go grow um, pretty quickly, but they're doing it in a very like um, a methodical approach where they began in Southern California and then they moved to Northern California with the deals. And now they did one in Las Vegas. They're looking to do a company run market in Phoenix. And then they're kind of going to move eastward toward Utah and Colorado. So they're doing it in a measured way, but they definitely have some eye popping um, numbers when it comes to um, development and it is interesting you know taquitos um you don't really think about them as a kind of a hero hero kind of item on a menu but um they're really kind of trying to switch the narrative there yeah and, same uh, same is true of calzones right yeah 
Except really? I don't even think of taquitos as being on um, restaurant menus at all. I remember them as like those little microwavable frozen yeah. ones you would snack yeah. on. Yeah. 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 That's a that's an era I'm leaving behind in my life. <laughs> I used to eat those in bulk too. Those were things I enjoyed those, too. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I would not recommend yeah. eating whole boxes of those either. That's probably not good for you either. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know that I've ever had like a taquito from a like a nice place. Agreed. So, I don't think I don't think I only got Very well worth it. Absolutely. If you get a chance to, there was a uh, a California. Um, brand that made its way out to Louisville, where I am from, and uh, their taquitos, and I mean, they were just wildly delicious. You know, you get a bunch of the uh, queso fresco on top and all sorts of good spicy things to go with it. See, I mean, that's what's cool about the 4040 list is that you have calzone concepts and uh, Hawaiian concepts and taquito concepts, and that's what makes it so unique because the top tier of quick service historically revolves around about four different categories, you know, sandwich, burger, chicken, pizza, pizza, right. So that's what, that's why fast casual a became so big because there was demand for it for consumers who wanted basically, I, I, I basically call it the quick services uh, answer to the rise of independent restaurants, which took them a very long time to figure out how that was going to work from real estate standpoint. And then once that became clear, it exploded in a, amazingly fast fashion and we're still at that point now um and speaking of that the next concept is another hawaiian brand so nice um hawaiian lemonade too right that yeah which i don't know what that is but it sounds delicious wow wow hawaiian lemonade um yeah they're another um growing brand they had a record-breaking 2021 they um in the first month nine months of last year they signed um, four-year agreements the largest they've ever um um, completed in a calendar year since they began franchising back in uh, 2017. Um, it's um, owned by uh, John Choi, I think I'm saying that right, and Klaus uh, Grimm of CNG Franchise Development. They purchased the brand back in uh, 2019, and they named uh, Tim uh, Wiederhoft as a CEO, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was um, an existing franchisee when they uh, they hired him. But um, they're they're based out of uh, Scottsdale. I mean, the the brand did bring begin in Hawaii, but um, the headquarters um, has since moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. So that's kind of where their growth is kind of centered at, with uh, in multiple deals in Dallas and San Antonio and New Mexico and, yeah, and Cla- Klaus Grimm is a great name too. I think, yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Sounds like a fairy tale character. He does. <laughs> he sounds like uh, well, obviously, it kind of sounds like Santa Claus, but then. With a with Grim a fairy tale, version it's of like Santa a brothers Grimm Grim and then Santa Claus all mixed in one, <laughs> which, which is a terrifying thing to think about. I hope uh, Klaus will come on the podcast now. German fairy tales are actually like terrifying. There's like there are some really horrifying creatures and bad things mm-hmm. that happen to kids in those stories. Yeah, man, you know, I sometimes I wish our children heard these stories. My, da- my daughter can use some. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Does the Brothers Grimm have a great book of fairy tales? I grew up with them. You should definitely introduce your daughter to that. Yeah, she's, you know, she listens or watches Paw Patrol. Um, Too soft. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I know. I got to harden her. You got to show her some westerns. You're a big western person, aren't you? Uh, you know, well, so she she watches this show called Dino Ranch, which is like, you know, western-y. They ride dinosaurs like horses. <laughs> 
um, on, <laughs> on Disney Plus. That's actually a great show. Unfortunately, she's no longer interested in it. No. And she's now strictly either Paw Patrol or she watches YouTube videos of oh, no. like people putting toys together, which I I don't know what that's about. <laughs> and it's unfortunate it's whenever it happens. I tried to show her. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, oh, maybe. Hopefully, but uh, yeah, I tried to show her Ducktales the other day as Nicole and I were talking about the Treasure of the Lost Lamp, which is a true classic. And, it is a wonderful movie. And Does she, she not no, she she had no interest in watching that. Um, the only movie so far she's really watched is Ice Age, and only the first Ice Age. She doesn't like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. It's, Man, I just, I just don't know. Have you shown her the Land Before Time that's been traumatizing children since like nineteen something? Why? Yeah, why is it traumatizing? that's well, it is kind of terrifying if you watch it now. I mean, they've got first of all, everyone's dying at the beginning. Of the... By a T Rex, <laughs> right? And then, and then oh, the T Rex yeah. himself is really scary, and uh, people are falling in like mud pits. Trevor and... was like a desensitized right. child, apparently. This was, you know, these are these are important life lessons you have to learn, right? But <laughs> your mom could get eaten by a T Rex at any given moment. Well, all, right. all those go to heaven, off, right? Right. You know, all those go to heaven. We've all seen, right? This uh, a pillar of our childhood, unless that was just me. No, I yeah. Yeah. But but there, you know, there's that one scene where they buy the casino, and then there's like a dog getting drunk on a bottle of liquor that says like <laughs> XXX on the front or whatever, and he gets sick. And then you know the, what's that other dog that's with the machine gun? That's yeah. you know, they're trying to drown him, and I you know don't he's got parts of that movie. Well, and there's like a devil thing coming at the oh, end. Oh yeah, and he's got like a baby mama too. You know they never quite address whether or not that's his family or not. Oh yeah, he does with he, all the puppies. Yeah, he brings the pizza to the pizza. house of like that really pretty looking dog, not all the. <laughs> You don't you don't remember oh, this scene? No, I remember this scene. And you and he sings like this song or whatever, and you're like, "Who is this person? And how are they related?" And I think that's just like he had kids on the side, and um, <laughs> you know, really important and it, lessons to learn, you know. Yeah, it it, she is like a gambling addict, you know. And he's a. Uh, I mean, got a lot of problems. He's a Burt Reynolds. It's yeah, I mean, that's a great movie, but yeah, it's silly different than what's out there now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this has nothing to do with anything. No, well, it Actually, comes, let me it ask comes you, back to let pizza. Me, let me bring it. Let me ask you a question about the Wow Wow Lemonade. This might be a stupid question, but is it strictly lemonade and variants of lemonade that they serve? Is it just a, a beverage company centered around lemonade? No, I believe they have they have other products. Um, Beside um, lemonade, I think they have a kind of a variety of um, beverages and stuff. Okay, let's see here. I'm like, I'm like, well, so they definitely have a lot of lemonades. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, fr- fresh pressed too. lemonades. Okay. Um, they have acai actually, bowls, smoothies. I mean, look, look really good. Uh, man, we need more of these things around here. They have flatbread I'm sandwiches. Through their website, and it looks appealing. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's kind of like it kind of fall into that health conscious, the growth of health conscious brands sure. that have kind of been popping up lately. They kind of fit right into that mold of that accelerating category. Yeah, and that and that's not gonna that's not gonna lose steam anytime soon. Right. I, th- I think it did for a little bit there at the beginning of COVID when everybody was ordering pizza, but um, five times a week. But I think people are getting back to now 
trying to get onto their sort of habits that they were they were into before. You know, I think also, though, it's interesting that, you know, compared to Hawaiian brothers, this is definitely has more of a health halo. And I think that that shows like how much variation there can be within this category of Hawaiian food. Um, And like I said, like with full service, it's been having a renaissance since the late 80s. We haven't really seen it come to full or fast casual until recently or even to the mainland. Yep. So I think you have a pokey, uh, a poke concept next. Speaking right, <laughs> right on This one's this one's aloha poke. This one's uh, unlike the previous two. This one's based in Chicago, so it's a Midwest a Midwest um, 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 brand. And um, in 2021, they had a pretty busy uh, 2021. They opened uh, the first of what will be 11 stores in Houston. They um, announced plans to uh, open in Atlanta. And they, they signed a deal to uh, debut in Charlotte. So they will be coming to North Carolina um, sometime soon. And um, they're t- and, and this year they're targeting uh, 20 openings in eight states. So a pretty big year for them. Um, they have 17 units. So that's, that's a pretty um, – I mean, that's more than 100% um, uh, growth rate right there. So Yeah. Important um, to note with them too and all these poke concepts is – you know, they, and they're really big on this. Uh, they kind of tout this in their franchise opportunity that they don't have ovens and fryers and you know right. big pieces of equipment in the back that are difficult to you know train on and and also of course you know just expensive to source at this point. You know, it's almost like a frozen yogurt shop, right? You have that person sitting in there front who. <laughs> who, you know, you basically just have to tell them how to make sure people don't go wild in the store and break everything. <laughs> you know, and that's why you only need one or two people to staff a Froyo shop, which has long been one of the reasons why those grow so fast and why they're simplistic and that being a strength of the franchise side of it. Same is true of Poke to a, to a different type of degree, but still no fryers in the back, which is a, a huge selling point for, you know, a certain type of clientele. Yeah, I can just say too from experience, cleaning out a fryer is the absolute worst job in a kitchen. You don't want to do that. Yeah, and you might, you know, put your hand in there, you know. God. Yeah, I've been burned by fryers before. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah, you hire, you know, you, we've all read and talked to, you know, restaurant operators right now about hiring and you're training people at an insane rate right now. I mean, Starbucks last year, 70% of the entire staff across the whole system was new to the brand in the course of 12 months which is a staggering kind of thing to think about so if you take a, if you took a fryer out of that equation you know <laughs> it might help somebody although you know starbucks is complicated to, it's becoming less so but you know you have all these people asking you to make all these crazy drinks and i thought you, you were know. gonna go with that like we've all talked to people who put their hand in the fryer i was really like about to say we I all know some of those not. people I remember when I was in, uh, I, I'm going to say middle school. It might have been high school, but I don't want to insult myself. But I remember having a conversation with someone who asked me one time, if you stuck your hand in the fryer and you fried your whole hand, like could you then eat that part of your hand okay. and the rest of your arm would still be there? <laughs> the answer to that question is obviously no. Um, <laughs> but I, for some reason, remember that very vividly in my life talking to eric about that so glad you didn't do it yeah well you're welcome for sharing that story i know that that was insightful 
Um, so soul and smoke, <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of the complete opposite because barbecue is really complicated, but we all love it. So yeah, this one is also based in Illinois. It's in Evanston, and this one is pretty much a um, a good example of how brands have had to and operators have had to adjust to COVID. Um, the um, it began as a um, a casual arm of uh, Feast and Imbibe, which is a full service um, full service catering company in uh, based in Chicago land. But due to COVID, um, they they switched the kind of platform and setup, and then they turned it into a collection of uh, ghost kitchens and, and a new food truck. Food truck, so kind of like transferring over to what was working the, the whole off premises and and takeout and delivery, and and it's worked for them, and they're actually planning to open uh, a dining room in Evanston and after opening a patio space earlier uh, in the pandemic and they're, they're opening another um, brick and mortar restaurant in Avondale, uh, Illinois. And uh, they also have uh, retail offerings. They have their signature spice rubs and barbecue sauce that you can uh, purchase, you know, with any meal or you can also uh, uh, purchase through a local and a national um, shipping. So yeah. They got a kind of like a couple of uh, revenue um, channels there going for them. Yeah, and barbecues, you know, you always get asked the question of why hasn't it scaled across the country in any tangible fashion? I, I guess outside of Dickies, right? But and the reason for that is very simple: a, it's a very regional cuisine, so it's mm -hmm. hard to open in some places. And then the other part of it is, you know, the picture we have here of Soul and Smoke is, you know, he's cutting a brisket and. You know, a lot can go wrong in the course of making a brisket compared to making a hamburger. So it's again, it's hard to be consistent. You know, thank you know. I think one thing that could change that moving forward is some of the equipment you know that's coming out. But if you want to do it, smoke it, <laughs> and kind of stick to traditional methods. It's it's pretty difficult to hire. You know, if you want to open say a thousand of these and have them all come out the same, it's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that you can't be a very successful regional barbecue concept because you can. <laughs> it's just that I think it's, I don't know that you'll ever see like a Wendy's of barbecue chains. You know, Dickie's is always going to be the closest in that sphere, but you know. I think it's easier for full service too. What's the one that's based out of the Midwest? We have a location in Durham. Oh, uh, city barbecues. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, I mean, yeah. they're, they're quick service and they're awesome. Um, but again, you know, you're talking about there's maybe like 40 of them. I, I can begin to have that math totally yeah, wrong. But I think they're not just in one region, right? Yeah, and they don't and they don't serve a regional barbecue. They serve basically just all different types of regions. Yeah, yeah. That, they do like a pulled pork and a brisket, and they I think they uh, they cater their sauces to the regional proteins yeah. that they are paired with. Yeah, I love City Barbecue. Awesome brand. Very good people who run it. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's one in Durham, <laughs> which helps us. Okay, so we're actually going to split this off. I did not realize how long we were going to take doing this, although when you think about the fact there are 40 restaurant brands, I probably should have assumed this was going to be a long podcast, but we'll cut it in half here or just do part one and part two. We'll bring the uh, second part next week, so... You know, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, for those brands on the 4040, we really appreciate you nominating and being a part of it. And we look forward to continuing to cover you. Everyone listening, you know, thanks, as always, for tuning in. And, again, we'll come back next week with the, uh, the rest of the 4040, and, you know, we'll see you next time.